So on Wednesday nights, we would play games before our service started, and usually those games had a prize attached to them. This was around the time that Fear Factor was big on TV, and so we had a wheel of essentially dares that were Fear Factor-type dares. Well, I get up on stage, and Atlanta Falcons tickets were the actual prize. I landed on Lick the Intern's Foot, and so... I got up on stage and the intern took his shoe off and his sock off and I licked the intern's foot and won Atlanta Falcons tickets. And now that intern is a pastor at a large church in Atlanta. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school Cause my best days will be Hey everyone, welcome to Unlearning Youth Group. We're the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group. We find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. We have a map. My name is Jonathan Crone, and I'm joined as always by Eric Williams. Eric, can you say hey to the people? What is up, people? We're excited about this topic because uh, this is probably one of the most pervasive <laughs> things that everybody no. has in common from their youth group. This one led to me getting my belly button pierced. But uh, can you go ahead and tell everybody what we're talking about today? Yeah, so today we're talking about a little bit of, uh, I mean, I guess what we're calling the cult of personality in youth group and how we built the youth group around the personality of the youth pastor. And I think for those of you who have either worked in church or been around church, you know how it goes. You get the right youth pastor, you get the right youth group leader in there, all of a sudden your youth group doubles, triples in size. As soon as that person leaves, uh, now your numbers tank again, right? Because your youth pastor was the one that drew people in based on how exciting or fun. I would love to say he or she, but I'm guessing it was he. Always a he. Right. It's always a he. Could be, right? You know, and for some things, it was how attractive he was because it's usually some single guy or it's how just wacky and how many cans of Red Bull or Monster or Mountain Dew they can drink. And the issue was once they left, you'd go to the different youth group who had a cooler youth, youth pastor in the moment. It was all built around the wackiness, the personality, who would do the most to, to reach kids. Yeah. And we justified it at the time because we would, we said, we'll do anything short of sinning in order to reach, reach one more kid. Cause it's about one more kid. So, oh, hold and on. really it was just about how much bigger could we go? Cause exactly. we wanted to justify what we were doing. Exactly. And internally in, uh, in a group that I was a part of, we would jokingly internally say we would do anything short of and including sin to reach people because it was like, <laughs> that's, that was the mentality. I mean, I remember before I got involved in, in uh, one of the churches that I was involved in, they would tell stories of when, uh, and this will date some of us, but like, remember when pimp my ride was a thing, they did yes. a pimp my ride of, of a car and we're going to give it away at a youth night. I mean, just like out, think of the money and the like the outlandish things that we did to try and get people in. It was, and and the thing is, and we'll get to this in a minute, but it always had to one up the thing before. Yes. It's like, okay, that's a good idea. But that, but what we did before was better. So we got to, yeah. we got to beat that. Right. And so it was all about that one upness and creating more and more and more and more and more. Mm -hmm, exactly. And in fact, uh, it got to the point where, you know, it was like it was the next evolution from I think the generation before was all about just like silly games. And a lot of you probably still either 
do because you just have to. But, you know, you're doing your two truths and a lie and you're doing your all all these little youth group games and stuff like that. And pretty soon, like the fun youth group games that were a departure from just Sunday school opening up the Bible, they just weren't enough. And so you had to do more. You had to do more. And that was either having the coolest band, you know, the coolest youth band, the 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 band that was, oh, they have a they're recording a single. Did you know that they're going to be on Dove Records, you know, and. It's like moving beyond that. Or you get the the dude up there who, you know, was the former football player or whatever it happened. But whatever it was, it, it had to be cooler and cooler and cooler. And we might get to this too. Inevitably, it caused a rift with, uh, with kind of whatever, I don't know, you'd call it big church or the adult church. Because sometimes your youth group was doing cooler things than your big church or more destructive things than what you're, than what your church always destructive. Right. Yeah. If something always was broken. It was always because of youth night. So if you're new with us, uh, we, we kind of try to follow a general format of every episode. Uh, we always start with introing the topic like we just did. And then we're going to talk about what was bad about it and where we went wrong. Then we're going to talk about what we got right and what the good intention was that under that was underlying that bad approach. And then we'll close out each episode with where do we go from here? Because the reason we're unlearning youth group is not so that we can move into some post-Christian idea. It's so that we can learn from our mistakes, even if those mistakes had good intentions behind them, so that we can be better moving forward, so that we can lead better, so that we can parent better, and so that we can make better decisions overall moving forward, knowing we're probably going to make our own mistakes that our kids are going to do a podcast on (laughs) in 20 years and tell us that we were wrong. Exactly. So- as we move forward, what was bad about this cult of personality idea, Eric? Where did we go wrong? Well, I'll start here with just from a programmatic standpoint because um, you know I wasn't I wasn't really into the youth culture as a kid, but more so as a volunteer and as a staff member. And I just remember that at some point there was a uh, there was a backlash that we didn't want to even be a youth group anymore. And so at the the first church that I was in, on staff at. We uh, we actually called it student ministry and nobody could say youth group because that brought along with it all of these thoughts and ideas of someone's going to swallow a goldfish. Someone's going to pierce something. Someone's going to, you know, put Thanksgiving dinner in a blender and drink it, you know, and, and all this stuff that we actually termed like super sloppy double dare. Like we're not doing that. We want something that's going to be, you know, cool for students that they're going to want to show up to and they're going to want to bring their friends and not, you know, this this wacky thing. But inevitably, we ended up still falling into all of that because it led itself to hype, really. And what could we do to hype up students? And what could we do to hype up kids to want to be there? And then we'd kind of bait and switch them with the gospel. Like, yeah, you're coming for the free pizza and the ice cream and the, you know, and if and the and the habanero pepper challenge. But then we spend 30 minutes uh, telling them stuff that they never really wanted to hear in the first place. Yeah. And the funny thing is you're, we were kind of similar the student ministry that I ran or helped run. Um, we didn't want to be the cliched youth group, right? but that's still a, a cult of personality. Yes. It's just more of a hipster personality than it was um, the goofy personality. So it's still based around the same idea. And as I thought through this episode, I think there's two things that we went wrong with this approach. The first, and I think maybe the most important here is that it led us to believe that church and our faith had to be this super fun experience where we always chase the next high, right. um, whether it was worship nights or camp or retreats, 
we're always chasing that next spiritual high, right. that next fun thing. Or church had to have this next crazy thing. Right. And so it was built on this whole idea of peaks and valleys. And we're always chasing that next that next peak. Right. And that's not healthy long term. We'll get to that in a little bit. But we got to our 20s and our 30s. And there's a reason that so many kids left church once they got to college and young adulthood, because real church, quote unquote, big church is not the same as student ministry church or youth group church. And so we got into our 20s and 30s and realized we didn't know how to marry those non-exciting times uh, or even, God forbid, the bad times with the gospel because our only church experiences were built around these big giant personalities and the fun around them. Yeah. And it was almost like, uh, you know, what we tell young couples, right. About honeymoon, the honeymoon period. It was like youth group was a seven year or, you know, depending on how long your youth group was, if you include college, you know, it's a, it's a seven to 11 year honeymoon experience that every church experience has a cry night. Every church experience has, you know, a pizza thing or a Mountain Dew thing or a video game thing. And in reality, like once you get to really living out uh, an adult faith, um, the church experience is pretty mundane from day to day. And, you know, obviously that it's it's there during your peaks and valleys as well. But there's plenty of times where you're just doing regular adult Christian things. <laughs> and. Going back to the idea of the youth pastor and the wacky, got to be that type of personality. A friend of mine who has been a student pastor, he's been in middle school and high school ministry, he, he made this statement to me a little bit ago. He said, youth pastors are the most unqualified group of people with the pastor title. Oh, yeah. Because they don't have any life experience yet. And right. they have this gifting and they have a calling, but they don't have the wisdom and experience needed to lead a lot of times. Yes. So what they do is they rely so heavily on those gifts and that calling. And the, at the time when you're in your early twenties, your mid twenties, even your early thirties, that gifting allows you to be a little wackier. Yeah. And so you lean into that gifting more so than you lead into the wisdom and the godliness that comes with experience because you just haven't had that experience yet. So where we went wrong to an extent is we, we, this is a bigger picture thing as well. Youth pastors come straight out of college and they get a youth pastor job. Yep. And there's no proving ground for the youth pastor. So the youth pastor comes in and he sees what's working. He sees what other people are doing. And he thinks, you know what? I got to be that goofy. Yep. I got to be that funny. I've got to be that big. I've got to be that crazy. And so it, that's what creates this idea of one up one upping each other and over the top because youth pastors don't have the wisdom and the experiences needed to lead through the peaks and valleys to lead through the mundane. So we just try to create great experience after great experience after great experience. And I, I say that as someone looking back when I was a 23 year old high school intern uh, leading a group of 200 students or helping lead a group of 200 students. Like I had gifts. Sure. I had talents, but my godliness was not where it needed to be to lead that many people. Right. To truly teach and disciple those that many kids. Like I wasn't ready for it yet. So, but I could be goofy. I yep. could be fun. And so that's what I relied on. And I think the other aspect of that godliness side and the the experience um, 
is a lot of times the, those young guys, especially those younger energetic guys, they lack the humility needed to, to lead this type of thing and to lead, you know, think about how tough it would be in a, in an organization. So for some of you that are in the corporate environment, it's like your CEO has hired you to run a division. That's almost exactly like the main piece of your, your work, but different, but you still have to live under the rules of the CEO, even if you find bigger success on a micro level. And so I think there's a lot of that as well, where, um, you know, how many of us have experiences with, uh, quote, you know, youth pastors that they, that's their stepping stone to church planting, or they have fights with the senior pastor and leadership because they believe that what they're doing is reaching, you know, the next generation and our church has to change and things like that, which is all, yeah, it's all good because there are plenty of problematic senior pastors and executive leadership that won't listen and won't adjust. But lacking that humility that it takes to lead well when you're under other leadership and authority is important because all that ends up happening is you get this carbon copy of like bullheaded, young, excited guy now plants a church and leads church from a toxic leadership standpoint um, that becomes unhealthy to a group of adults. And I would say most people listening to this podcast at some point have been a part of a youth pastor led church plant. Yes. And uh, it's just the natural stepping stone, I guess you could say. I, we don't we don't have a great farm system in the church at this point. Yep. And there, the one of the reasons a lot of church plants fail or are unhealthy is because the cult of personality that a 25 year old youth pastor developed and built and learned how to do ministry then becomes a cult of personality as a 35 year old, and then before you know it. You've got, and I, I hate to go here because I don't want to just throw rocks at somebody, right. but you look at Hillsong, New York, uh-huh. and what they're going through. And I can't even remember the dude's name at this point, but he just had a more and more and more extravagant lifestyle and more and more and cool and cool and cool. And he's posting pictures with Justin Bieber where he's walking down the road and his shorts are barely covering his man parts. Uh huh. And how does someone get there? It's because this cult of personality is never checked. Yes. And so you have all these horror stories of people who grew up in the church who have left because of toxic leadership. Mm -hmm. And it all stems from this idea of building a church around a personality of a leader. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you know, if you're talking about Carl Lentz at Hillsong or even you can go back and and see other People from a, a Mark Driscoll or a Perry Noble or uh, uh, Bill Hybels, you know, and we even have a recent example with Ravi Zacharias where like dangerous, dangerous things have happened because people don't have that check in place because a lot of these type of situations as a micro as a as a macrocosm of the youth group remember if your youth leader leaves then that's going to take half the youth group with him or nobody's going to show up again because you're dependent on that personality that person's preaching that person's leadership style the way he looks whatever it looks like and then that that same mentality gets imprinted onto us in the adult world where we say, oh, man, if, if we check this person's drinking problem or if we encourage this person to make sure that they're having healthy uh, relationships with uh, members of the opposite sex or, you know, healthy, lead- even just leadership styles, so they're not treating their people like dirt. Oh, they might get upset. And if they leave, then it's going to blow up our church. And that like it's the same mentality, but with much more dangerous results. 
Yeah. And that, that cult of personality that so many churches are built upon at this point, it's really scary. And you don't have to be a nationally known celebrity pastor to be a celebrity pastor. Right. You can have a celebrity culture built around your local church that the way people treat you and that the way they have to respond to you and the things you ask for as the pastor, that is just as celebrity nature as the nationally known scandals that we can all point to. And those just don't get the, get the shine and the light shine on them that other ones do. And, but they're just as toxic and they're just as dangerous. Here's an example real quick is that, you know, I remember talking to a, uh, a uh, pastor in Northwest Ohio. And, you know, he had a small church. I mean, we're talking hundred people or less, uh, a small church that, um, he's driving the Cadillac. He's driving the, you know, he's got all the, he's wearing a suit all the time and kind of that, uh, his wife, same thing, got the hats, got the whatever. And I remember him sharing the story and saying, you don't understand in my context, uh, if you don't look this way, if you don't drive these things, if you aren't, appearing like you are successful, then your people don't believe that you have God's blessing on you. And so we end up reinforcing even people that may want to get out of that situation. We end up reinforcing it because we've been enforced when we were younger to say, hey, this youth group is successful because a lot of kids are showing up when that's not necessarily the case, because if you have a dangerous and toxic leader at the top, or if you have a dangerous situation where your mindset is, hey, the more people we have, the better it's going to be, regardless of the cost, and you look the other way for indiscretions, man, that is so dangerous to happen. And it gets back to that whole giftedness versus godliness aspect. Some of the most gifted people on this planet are not the godliest. And you look at the guys that we mentioned who have had scandals or failures. Carl Lentz is an, an incredibly talented and gifted speaker. Ravi Zacharias was an incredibly gifted and talented apologist. But in their own way, they're both doing terrible, ungodly things behind the scenes yes. that they got away with. Ravi got away with it for way too long. Right. The fact that it was known before he passed away and he still got away with those things. And it wasn't until after people made noise after his death. Like that's terrible. Yes. That should never happen. Yes. But he was, he was so gifted that people look the other way. And so it leads to a lot of, a lot of hurt, a lot of scandal, a lot of grief and a lot of baggage that is attached to the gospel and Christianity and Jesus that should never be there that will cause a lot of people to turn their back on the church or on Jesus because they don't want to be associated with that guy. Yeah. And I love that, that, you know, your aspects about giftedness and, you know, there's a number of different quotes around the same thing, you know, like talent will get you in the door, but character will keep you in the room. Right. You know, and I used to hear people say, you know, your gifts will get you there, but your character will keep you there. And so if you want to say, Hey, your gifts will get you to the position that you're in, your gifts will get you influence. Uh, but it's your godliness that will keep that influence and will keep you from, um, you know, doing and being and whatever on, on, on the bad end. So you need both. So we could do an entire episode on the bad aspects of cult of personality and toxic leadership, sure. but um, we do want to try to redeem this and try to find the good. Yeah. So what did we get right and where in this approach 
where was the good intention behind it that led to us having these bad ideas? And, and well, first let's give this disclaimer. And I'm 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 sorry that we even have to do this disclaimer because it should be understood. The things and the people that we just talked about, the things and the people that we just talked about, the stuff that they did, we do not condone whatsoever. And so even when we talk about the good in the approach, it's not the good in their individual approach, but the topic overall uh, that comes with it. So just in case that was in doubt at all, this is this is not trying to say, hey, whatever any individual person did that you know in public or in your own private life, like, oh, it's okay because they meant well. Not that case. Okay, moving on. I agree. Church should be fun. So the idea of of saying, hey, you know, we want to try and do this fun thing. We want to, you know, do this super sloppy double dare deal or get pizza or yeah, church should be fun because I think there was a, a big backlash on like in the 60s and 70s. You know, when you talk about heaven, what is heaven? Well, it's a bunch of people sitting there singing hymns all day and and in their robes and playing a harp. That's lame. You know what I mean? And so we wanted to try and tell people about the wonders of heaven in the same way church became kind of lame and we want people to have fun at church and really feel that way. So I would say that's great. And Jesus called us to an exciting and a different life. He really called us to an adventure when we understand our purpose in him. So I think those are two major things. What do you think? Yeah, I think those are incredibly important because Jesus was a lot more fun than we give him credit for. Right. The dude played pranks on his disciples. Turned water he into wine. He hung out with kids. Do what? He turned water into wine. He turned water into wine. He hung out with people who were not holy at all. Like You don't hang out with a bunch of sinners if you're a boring dude. Right. You've got to be able to laugh and have some fun if they want to be around you. And so, yes, he was compelling because the truth was there. But his personality, if you read the Gospels, his personality it shines through all the time. I think of um, just a quick story on the road after Jesus came back from the dead. He's walking with the two guys and they're sad. First off, what type of mood do you think Jesus was in the day he beat death and overcame the grave? (laughs) I got to think he was pretty happy and he was pretty excited and so he's walking down the road with these two guys. They don't have a clue who he is. Right. They're sad. And they're like, well, he's like, why are you guys so sad? <laughs> well, do you not know? No, tell me about that. Oh, tell me more. He's trolling tell me about them. how he's dead. Meanwhile, he knows, like, he knows the story. And then finally, he gets to the point. He's like, nope, that's me. I'm alive. And poof. He disappears. <laughs> yeah, it gives me this thought of like whether you think of, you know, in sports, you got like uh, Tom Brady or Michael Jordan or whatever, and you got the other team is just talking and chirping. He's like, oh, yeah, keep talking, keep chirping, you know, down by whatever, and like hits the game winning shot when nobody thinks they were going to. And just that look of like, <laughs> you know, so I just think it's like Jesus was like, let's go. This is great. Yeah. So, I mean, he has this personality that is fun. Yeah. And so church should reflect that person. I, I think. One of my sayings is that Jesus was too fun for church to be boring. Right. And so I think we got things right with that. I think the gospel is super relevant to our lives and the Bible isn't a boring book that doesn't make sense anymore. I think it's exciting. I think the gospel is as relevant today as it has ever been, if not more. I think that the Bible, when you read it and read the personality into it, it's exciting and life-giving. So to reflect those things, I think was super important. 
Yep. Another thing that I think we got right is high school kids want dessert. They don't want, want vegetables. Right. And so we've got to do something to get them there. Yep. And to talk about, hey, this week at a youth group, we're going to dive into what is sin and why you don't want to go to hell. Right. Like, no, no one wants to come to that. Right. So, of course, we're going to make it more exciting because we've got to get kids there if we're going to show them the gospel. The bait and switch has to happen or else they're not going to show up. Right. So I think that was not a bad thing. I just think we relied on it too much. Yeah. And in reality, there, you know, if I'm thinking about from programmatically when I was a part of, uh, you know, building these different nights, it, it was essentially like um, solving problems. You know, you have to figure out what's the problem that a high school student or a junior high student has and what are we trying to get them out of? Okay. So it's like church is boring. Okay. We want them to have fun and make sure that we're having fun with them. But also they go, Hey, my a life with Jesus is not as exciting as my life, or I have to give up a bunch of things or, you know, name all these different things. Or like from the adult parent standpoint, we just want them to have a positive thing to do that's fun. And so, you know, that, that example of like, yeah, we've got video. I mean, we had Halo, we had, you know, all these different games and stuff like that. And video game consoles we brought in to try and make sure that kids knew like, no, you, your best life lived with Jesus. Um, doesn't mean you have to say no to everything, right? You know, it's not like it's a boring time. And so there were some of those things that we wanted to make sure that we painted an accurate picture that your lifestyle uh, didn't have to be, again, that Ned Flanders, Simpsons type of type of view that you were boring all the time. And so giving them that accurate representation uh, that of, of the times that they could have. And I think that was good. I think the other aspect to it is like when you think about the individuals in particular going for the uh, cult of personality um, and the giftedness versus godliness is God wants to use our gifts. So it's not like he's saying, hey, you're a super young, energetic and charismatic person. You need to put all of that aside and be kind of uh, so, uh, somber and boring and lead that way and lead passively. No, he's he specifically is calling people because of their gifts in the same way as he calls uh, the sons of thunder, you know, John, the, you know, James. Well, he also gives them those gifts because of their calling. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So saying like. Hey, don't put this stuff aside, but use this. That's why Paul was so important. He's like, I am, he was ravenous in persecuting Christians. And so Jesus, you know, God knocks him off his horse and says, Hey, all right, now you're going to use that same ravenous gift that you have for a different calling. Yeah, but we have to make sure that we don't value the results of that, those gifts more so than the godliness those gifts need to have be wrapped in. Exactly. So moving forward, where do we go? As we parent our kids, as we lead kids in student ministry today, how do we take these good ideas and use them before? Because here's the crazy thing. There are people our age, there are people listening to this who are moving into roles in a church where they're going to become elders soon right? or they're deacons. And yep. so we have the responsibility now. We are at the age to where it's on us to make sure these cults of personality don't become toxic, that we don't rely on these things too much. So how do we move forward from here and use the good, unlearn the bad and just do better things in the future? Yeah, I think it's twofold, especially if you're if you're uh, of a certain age or you're in church leadership. I think you have to look inward personally and make sure that you have personal accountability around you. So that way, the things that you are doing in your context, whether you're 
a parent trying to parent their kids well, or you work in industry, or you're leading a small group, or, you know, like you said, you're an elder, a deacon in church leadership. Make sure that you are actively seeking out that sort of accountability so people understand, uh, you know, people can understand and help you um, keep that godliness. uh, That's the main central point of using your giftedness. So I would say that that's that's true for you personally. I would also say if you're in a position where you're mentoring or leading a young leader is to incorporate those things into their lives. If you're in a hiring position, if you're recruiting volunteers, whatever it looks like, look for character, look for their godliness um, along side of that giftedness, because you can sometimes teach people how to do things differently, uh, but it's very hard to uh, to teach them to have better character and giftedness in, in the, or in godliness in these sorts of situations. So those would be two major things uh, for me from a personal aspect. But what do you think from, you know, like a, I don't know, programmatic aspect or from, you know, what you need to do leading your own kids? I think we have to figure out how to balance the fun things with the real things. Yep. And it's almost like a set of scales. We're always going to be trying to get that balance right. And we're rarely ever going to get it perfect. Sure. So I think we, we need to, we need to know that on the front end, but we've got to teach our kids, both our own kids and the ones we're leading about how to find Jesus in the times that aren't so fun. Right. Uh, I think we're seeing a generation of kids who, uh, have lived through a bunch and uh, that's not great. Like even as a 34 year old millennial right now, I mean, you look through the things that I have lived through and we have lived through just as we've grown up, you look at the nineties and then you've got 2011 or September 11th, 2001. Then you've got the financial crisis, 2008 and the wars after that. Yep. And then you've got a global pandemic and all these things. So there we're learning there's a lot of bad in this world. Right. And so Jesus can't just be all about this great abundant life that we're going to get because he did say there's going to be troubles in this life. He promised that. So we've got to find a way to marry the idea of Jesus in the fun and Jesus in the suck. Yep. And how we do that, it's going to depend on your situation specifically, but we can use the fun to get people there, but we've also got to use that fun. If we do that, we've got to then be able to show people that not everything's going to be fun and we can't rely on our personality. We have to rely on the gospel. We have to rely on the cornerstone and the truth of Jesus. So, because that's the thing that doesn't change. Our culture is always going to change, but who he is, what he has taught us, what he calls us to, that never changes. So balancing the fun and the real and then also making sure it all is built on a foundation of truth and the gospel and not a personality and gift set. Those those two ideas are the thing that if we can get those right, I think we can help raise a generation that's going to be healthy and it's going to be gospel centered and can really change the world for the gospel in a positive way. Yeah. And I th- if I'm thinking back, you know, I'm 37. So 20 years ago, essentially, when I was in high school. Um, I don't know that we were necessarily dealing with with things that were less intense than what what our kids are going to be dealing with in junior high and high school. Um, but I definitely know that the culture of church and youth group has changed and needs to change because it uh, it can't just be about the fun times. And I think when we're talking about 
uh, teen suicide rates, when we're talking about mental health, when we're talking about, you know, all of the different questions and pressures and social media bullying things that are happening now is understanding how to have a full and complete view of faith. And I, and I love that's what you're saying is like embracing Jesus in the suck as well and having a true faith that's confident um, that can overcome the times where it just doesn't feel good. And the best way I could say that is it's just like a marriage. Like your marriage isn't always going to be like the honeymoon. Sometimes it's going to be like you got to do the dishes or you're, you're are arguing and fighting and things like that and it's not going well. But knowing that you love each other and are committed to each other uh, throughout it, I think if we can impart that same view of of Jesus and the gospel to our kids uh, so they know that, hey, yeah, you may be going through a tough time right now, but these trials are only going to strengthen your faith, like James tells the early church. Like it's just it's just going to produce an endurance and a perseverance in you in a different way than always celebrating, always hype, always worship, always, you know, all the the pop and sugar and ADHD side of of the gospel will. I didn't know what you meant when you said pop there for a second because I'm from the South and it's soft drinks and Coke. Yeah, and I get you. Sorry, my, <laughs> my, my, my Midwest just came out there a little bit. Sorry about that. No, and, you're good. I think and, saying sorry, and saying sorry. That's another part of the Midwest. Oh, sorry about yeah, you, that. You guys apologize for a lot of stuff, but I think that's a good place for us to end this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about how uh, when you left a church or a youth group, you essentially had to leave your friends because for some reason – we couldn't be friends with people who went to other youth groups or other churches. And it was this weird tribalism that um, tribalism definitely isn't something we're dealing with today as adults. Oh, period. No, that doesn't exist anymore. But we'll talk about that and how we can uh, tear down those barriers and those lines next week in that show. So if you want to get that one sent directly to your phone, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, Rate us and review us if you don't mind so that we can continue to get the word out. Share this episode with a friend if you enjoyed it. And if you have a story that you want us to share at the front end of the episodes, you can record those as a voice memo and send them to hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. And uh, if it's good, if it's clean, uh, if it's not clean, (laughs) we'll listen to it and laugh. But if it's good and if it's clean, uh, we'll share it on a future episode. But that's it for this week. We hope you have a great week and can't wait to see you next week.